2,000 years ago, a man hung on a cross and it changed the course of history. The Son of God walked among us, humble, loving, boldly proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom. Then he was arrested. He was stripped and beaten and nailed to a cross. He was mocked and jeered by the crowds. And for six long hours, he hung. And then he drew his last breath. Jesus was dead. But what the world couldn't see was that God was working his plan. The cross wasn't a defeat. It was a victory. Jesus took our sins to the cross. He bled and died for us. The sinless one died to save sinners like you and me. And then, praise God, He rose again to give us victory over death itself. And that's why Easter is a time to celebrate. We remember all that God was willing to do and the price He was willing to pay so that we could have the promise of eternal life and a heavenly home. But today I want to turn the clock back a little bit. I want to take us back to Gethsemane. The garden where Jesus prayed before he was arrested. You may remember earlier that evening, Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room and they shared the Passover meal together. It should have been a happy occasion. But Jesus said a few things that were pretty shocking. For one thing, he said that he was leaving. And then he said that one of the disciples, one of his friends, was a betrayer. The disciples didn't understand, but Jesus did. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He knew that in a few short hours, he would be facing the pain and the agony of the cross. And when the meal was over, he led the disciples to a quiet garden where he could pray. And he took his closest associates, James and John and Peter, and he pulled them aside and he told them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And then Luke picks up the story for us. We'll be reading out of the 22nd chapter of Luke. And in all honesty... This may be the most important part of the story. This is where Jesus has to say yes to the cross. It's the hardest thing that he's ever had to face. And as we watch the things he did, and as we listen to the things he said, we can be encouraged. And we can be equipped ourselves when we face hard things in our own lives. How many of you know that life can be hard? (laughs) 
Yeah, life comes with hard things. Every one of us will face hard things. It could be sickness, the death of a loved one, trouble on the job, money problems, a family crisis. But we can face those things with confidence because of what Jesus teaches us in this passage. As we go through these verses together, I want us to do two things. Number one, I want us to have a sense of wonder and awe and adoration as we consider everything that Jesus endured for us. And number two, I want us to see how Jesus gives us an example that we can follow when we come face to face with our own hardships. So, let's pick up the story. I'm going to make this tech work. <laughs> Luke 22:39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And I want us to stop right there and consider this. If we want to effectively deal with the hard things in our lives, we begin by surrounding ourselves with godly friends. Jesus didn't spend these last hours alone. He had his closest friends, the disciples. Now, these men spent three years together going from town to town, preaching, teaching, healing. These men walked in the footsteps of Jesus. Nobody knew Jesus like these men did. And when the time came for Jesus to ready himself for the cross, he invited these men. He surrounded himself with these men. He told them he was hurting. He brought them with him to the garden and he told them to pray. You heard me say last week that you are not an island. Remember? <laughs> you were created by God for fellowship. You were created by God for community. And I don't know where the idea came from that we can be lone rangers. You do your thing and I'll do mine. That's not God's design. You are part of a body of believers. You don't just come together for worship. You come together to live life. There's a wonderful scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is describing the church. And this is what he says. There should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers... Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What does that mean? When one of us hurts, we all hurt. And we come alongside so we can help. No one in the house of God should struggle alone. If you're facing a hardship or a struggle in your life, I, I want to encourage you to find a friend maybe two, and ask them to pray with you. 
That's the beauty of the church. You don't have to carry the load all by yourself. There are men and women who can help you through it. That's what real fellowship looks like in real life. Now I want to take a minute and I want to talk to the men in the room. Okay, men? Let's be honest. We're not very good at this. We don't like sharing, opening up, being honest and open. And you may say, well, that's not how I was raised. Or you may think that asking somebody uh, to pray for you is a sign of weakness. But the truth is, that's exactly what the church is for. That's part of God's design. We minister through prayer. And if we don't ask for prayer as we go through hard times, we actually end up hurting ourselves. We wear ourselves out, and we don't have peace. So I want to encourage all of you, and especially the men, (laughs) to be willing to share a prayer need if you have one. And if someone asks you to pray, that's a privilege. That's a God-given privilege. I suggest that you pray right then and there. I think that sends the message that says, hey, you are important. Your prayer need is important. And I would do more than pray. I would check back, maybe a quick text or an email or a note and let them know, I care and I'm still praying for you. Maybe even get together over a cup of coffee, share, catch up. It's about community, folks. When my dad died, I was blessed to receive so many texts and emails and cards, simple little reminders that people were remembering me in their prayers. You see, these things may be simple, but I can tell you from my own experience, they can be powerful. So let's be willing to step up and be the church. And it begins by surrounding yourself with godly friends. So Jesus heads off to the garden. He's with his friends. And here's what Luke says happens next. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We begin by surrounding ourselves with godly friends, but we also pray hard. If you're like me, there are probably times when you've worried about something that was going to happen. I can remember uh, worrying over a meeting that was on my calendar and I knew it was going to be unpleasant and my stomach was in knots, I couldn't sleep, I kept thinking about it. And you probably experienced the same thing. 
But now try to imagine what Jesus was feeling as he stepped into the garden. He knew that by 9 a.m. he would be nailed to a cross and left to die. Hands and feet held in place by nine-inch nails. Bruised. Beaten. Bleeding. Fighting for every breath. That's the cross. And not only that, but he knew that he would go to the cross carrying the weight and the guilt and the shame of your sins and mine. And he also knew that the Father, in his holiness, would turn away from the sin he was carrying. And for the first time in his life, he would be truly alone. And as he stepped into the garden, he could see a clear picture of the cross in his mind. And it drove him to his knees. He took all of those worries and struggles and fears and he lifted them up in prayer. He prayed. And he prayed hard. If you're facing opposition in your life, whatever it is, wherever it's coming from, it should drive you to your knees. Your flesh will tell you 101 ways to respond and they're all wrong. You're going to need wisdom to make the right choices and your own wisdom won't be enough. You need to pray. You're going to need clear direction from God. You need to pray. You're going to need courage and strength. You need to pray. And look at what happened as Jesus prayed. An angel showed up. And he had one job. To give strength to Jesus. What an encouragement for us to know that God will meet us in prayer and he'll strengthen us. If you're physically tired, he'll give you strength. If you're down and discouraged, if you're Spiritual batteries are run out. He's there to build you up and supply what's missing. What impresses me so much about Jesus and his prayer is that he poured everything he had into his prayer life. You know, we can be so superficial in the way we pray. It's almost like a postcard. We don't really get to the heart of things. We just scratch the surface. But that's not how Jesus prayed. He wasn't leaving the garden until he knew that he was ready, until he knew that he was fully equipped and he had everything that he needed for what was coming. The arrest, the beatings, the whip that would tear into his flesh, the crown of thorns, the nails. Luke tells us that as Jesus thought about those things, he was in anguish. But he kept praying. 
when the going got tough, he didn't give up. He prayed harder. It reminds me of a story from the Old Testament. You may remember Jacob, the hero of the faith. The Bible tells us that Jacob had an encounter with an, uh, the angel of the Lord. And the two of them wrestled all night. And when daybreak came, the angel said, let me go. And Jacob said, that's not happening. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Jacob wanted a blessing. And see, it's a picture of tenacity. And that's the way that you and I should approach our prayer time. Pray as long as it takes. Pray with all of your heart and say, God, I'm not leaving until I hear from you. I'm not leaving until I'm ready for what's coming. Jesus prayed hard. And I want us to focus on the heart of his prayer. This is verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And what this shows us is that we have to seek God's will and embrace it. Jesus was perfectly open and honest with God as he prayed. My flesh wants to avoid all of this. If there's another way, God, show me. But not my will, God. Your will be done. Jesus wanted God's will. He knew what was coming and he still said yes. If that's your will, Father, then that's what I want. I accept the arrest. These are false charges. These men are liars. But I know it's part of your plan. The beatings, the mocking, the crown of thorns, even the cross. I accept it all, God. If we want to be like Jesus, we've got to come to the point where we want God's will regardless of where it takes us. And that's one of the hardest things to do in our daily walk with God. It means giving up control. It means letting go. It means trusting God to know what's best and to do what's best. Think of life as a car ride. I would say if we're honest. On our best days, we may be letting God drive the car, but we're backseat driving the whole way. You know what I mean. Hey God, are we there yet? Why are we going so slow, God? Can't we speed up? I'm in a hurry. Or how about this one? I think I know a shortcut. And sometimes, let's be real, okay? Let's be honest. Sometimes we actually try to grab the steering wheel out of God's hands. We've got to trust God to do the driving. 
He's got the whole trip mapped out. He knows every road and every turn. He knows exactly how fast to go. Now, the truth is, we may not always like the route he's chosen. We'll go through some hardships. There may be twists and turns and bumps along the way. But God is using them for a greater good. I've shared this verse before. It's one of my favorites and it's always helped me to understand God's will and to face the hard things in my own life. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. That's God's promise for every believer. Whatever you may be facing, God's in control. God's the one in the driver's seat and He's working to accomplish good in your life. He's a good God and He has a good plan. Jesus could say yes to God because He knew that God was good and faithful and He knew that God was working for His good. Jesus humbled Himself and He submitted Himself completely to the Father's will. There were no strings attached. There were no ifs, ands, or buts. Just a heart that said, whatever may come, God, your will be done. And if we want to be successful as we go through our own trials and troubles, that's exactly what we have to do. Not my will, God. Your will be done. So Jesus settles things in His prayer time. He comes away strengthened and encouraged. But there's a challenge he has to face. We pick up the story in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was happening, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. So, here's the next thing that happens. The disciples think they have a better idea. They want to fight their way out. So they draw their swords and they begin attacking the mob. This is a turning point for Jesus. He's prayed. He knows what God's will is and he's accepted it. But now, now there's a door of escape that's beginning to open. Maybe, maybe he should let them fight. You can almost hear his voice uh, his, uh, his flesh whispering, there's still a chance. There's still a chance to avoid the cross and all of the pain, all of the humiliation. All you have to do is let them do the fighting. He's not even out of the garden yet and he's already being tested. 
But listen to what he says. He shouts a command to his disciples. No more of this. No more swords, Peter. No more fighting, John. No more. God's got a plan, and I'm walking in it. You see, when we've accepted God's will on our knees, we've got to follow through. We've got to stand up and walk in it. The devil would like nothing better than to get us off course. He'll put obstacles in our path, stumbling blocks. He wants to distract us and make us lose our way, lose our focus. But we can't lose sight of the path. The path that God's given us to walk. Jesus told his disciples, stop. This is a stumbling block. I can't get tripped up here. I've got to follow the path that God's given me. And my path is leading me to the cross. You put away your swords. And if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to keep walking in God's will, regardless of the obstacles. No turning back. No turning back. Jesus was fully determined to fulfill his mission. He was going to the cross, but don't miss what happens next. We remain faithful to God's plan. And he touched the man's ear. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Even when we're facing hardship and opposition, there are still opportunities for us to minister. This servant, he was no friend of Jesus. He worked for the high priest. He was part of the mob that was coming out with clubs and spears. Peter took out his sword and he swung it and he hit this man in the ear and he cut it off. This man came looking for trouble and he found it. He got what he deserved. But Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus reached out with his hand and he touched this man's ear and it was healed. Think about it. He was being arrested and he still stopped so he could minister to somebody who was in need. And he didn't stop there. As he was carrying his cross through the streets, beaten and bleeding, he ministered to the women in the crowds who were weeping. He gave them encouragement. And even as he was hanging on the cross, he kept ministering. He prayed for the people who were putting him to death. He prayed for God to forgive them. And he ministered to his mom. Mary was at the foot of the cross. And he told John, take care of mom. And he brought salvation to a thief. A man who was lost came to know Jesus in a saving way because he ministered from 
the cross. What an incredible example to follow. I'm not saying there's a ministry opportunity in every single hardship. But I am saying we should be watching. I am saying we should be listening. God can show up in amazing stained glass moments, but believe me, He can show up in the hard times too. Times when we're hurting and disappointed and scared. And He can open a door of opportunity for you to minister. I know a teenager who was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And she had to go through surgery to have it removed. And every time she would go to the hospital or go to the doctor's office, she shared Jesus. She wanted people to know why she could face this surgery with hope and positivity, and it was because of Jesus. I shared with you before how my wife and I had stillborn twins almost 30 years ago. And it was a hard time for both of us. But we also experienced God's grace and healing. And because of that, we've been able to minister to other moms and dads who've lost their babies. By bringing us through that experience, God equipped us for a new kind of ministry. Never underestimate God's ability to open doors of opportunity. And always, always be on the lookout. Even as you face the hard things in life. God is working even in the hard things. I want to try to bring this to a close. So I have to ask, what do we do with this? What does the story of Gethsemane mean for us? Well, the most important thing to know is that Jesus died for you. Jesus chose the cross for you. So my first question is, have you received Jesus? Is He your Savior? Has there come a time in your life when you've confessed your sins and you've said, yes, Jesus, I want your love, I want your forgiveness, I want you to take ownership of my life. Change my heart, Jesus. For my good and your glory. That can happen today. And if you're already a believer, have you said thank you lately for the things that Jesus did? All the pain, all the humiliation, all the way from the garden to the cross. He did it for you. Maybe today is a day to remember and give thanks. Or maybe you're going through a hard time. There's a hard thing in your life that you're facing right now. Know this. Jesus has been there. 
He knows what it's like to go face to face with the hardest things. And He's here to help you. However He may be calling, however He may be moving in your heart, I want to encourage you to respond today as we join together in a song of invitation.